And we're going to talk, uh, this is a bonus message in our series, Come Holy Spirit, which we did in October. And uh, since we had a free Sunday today, I thought we'd do a bonus message. Aren't you excited about that? I'm excited about it. Matt's really excited about it. You should have received, trying something new, you should have received as you came in some uh, handout with some notes on it. This is fill in the blank, fifth grade style. So if you're smarter than a fifth grader, you can figure this out. As a cultural reference, if I remember that, never mind. If you did not receive this, just raise your hand real quick. We'll get you a copy and uh, you can follow along. If you have your Bible, want to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. If not, it's right here. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, the aspect of the Holy Spirit I want to talk about, and, and I love this, this uh, video of the Georgists because it shows a progression of their faith from a childlike faith, if you will, um, a, begin, not, a beginning point of faith, and as they progressed in their walk with God, how the Lord led them in hunger and in thirst towards new experiences and new things and new understanding. Does that make sense? Like, like they didn't, stay, they didn't come, to the, come to Christ and then just sort of stay where they were, but they progressed forward in the things of God. That's called maturing. Don't you wish that Americans were more mature than they are? Me too. I want to talk about spiritual maturity today and the idea of growing up in our faith and growing up into uh, spiritual gifts, growing up into this idea, and I think Vince put it, put it right when he talked about how now uh, he doesn't pray the way he used to pray. He doesn't ask God for the things he used to ask God for, but there's a maturing happening in even the way he prays, the way he interacts with people. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as you know, John 16, Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit guides us into truth and leads us and tells us the things that the Father is saying. And I just think that that leans itself into this idea of maturing in our faith. And it's such an important and rarely addressed topic in the kingdom of God today. I don't know why it's so rare, but it's very rare. So what is maturity? Well, the definition is this, the condition of being ripe or fully aged or fully grown, especially mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. So look, we, we mature in lots of ways in our life. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you ladies are really thankful that your husbands have matured? Don't raise your hand but they've matured, right? And that's a good thing that we grow in our lives. I used to think that uh, the only one of these that, that, well, I still think the only one of these that happens sort of naturally is our physical maturity. Like all you've got to do is, is put food in the gullet, get enough sleep, and you will mature. You will grow physically. I've got like four kids right now going through puberty. Pray for me, right? <laughs> Pray for us. I thought I was going to have to leave the house yesterday. It was so loud in my house. Uh, I kept tell, telling the younger kids, Would you, could, do you have to say everything and yell? Like that's their normal volume and it's driving me nuts. Okay, that was a side note. Maybe I was getting a little pent up frustration out right there. Anyway, 
<laughs> but they're, they're maturing in a natural way. And, and, and really, for most people, unless you have lived in trauma, unless you've come from a very difficult childhood uh, of, ne- of neglect, you mature in a natural way. And it's not something, unless you want to build muscles or, you know, you, w- you want to play football, you want to, you know, do, you know, play a sport or whatever, then it's just something that happens naturally. I used to differentiate between sort of the spiritual maturity and the emotional, like in other words, uh, you could be super emotional mature or super spiritually mature, but remain emotionally immature. And what I learned in my life, not only in pastoring people, but in my own personal life is that's hogwash. They're totally connected. And you cannot mature as a man or a woman of God and know the things about God and be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's an impossible thing that happens. God, though, has called all of us to mature in all the areas of our life. And I go back to that idea of body, soul, and spirit. All three of those components of the human makeup or the way that God has designed us are designed to mature. So can maturity be reached in our efforts in only one of these areas? Like, can we grow into maturity, say, mentally, but be incredibly underdeveloped emotionally? Sure you can. You can hang degrees on your wall. You can learn how to read books really fast. You can know all the useless knowledge of the universe. You can have all of it and be an idiot. Right? And we're not going to, you know, this just kind of can happen to people. I've concluded that can happen. And what happens is this brutally abnormal growth. And it's like if somebody decided to be a bodybuilder and went into the gym, but only after ever worked out their right arm. And that's all they did. How many of you know that over time, their right arm would just become this massive, weird looking thing on their body while their left arm remained pretty skinny and scrawny? That even rhymed. You know what I'm saying? And that's what happens when we put effort into our lives, our spiritual lives or our emotional lives or something like that uh, apart from or separating them from one another. We can grow spiritually, but not emotionally. We can grow mentally, but not spiritually. Those things are connected and not separate. That's what I want you to know. Hebrews chapter five, the, the author of Hebrews writes this in verse 12. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers yourself. And listen to me. You ought to be teachers. You still need someone to teach you the elementary or the simple, the basic truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Why did he say that? It wasn't because, listen to me, it wasn't because they didn't have the knowledge. It wasn't because they didn't have the knowledge of maturity. How many of you ever live in your life and you know what to do, like what the wise thing to do is, what the right thing to do is, you just choose to do the other thing? How many of you know you can have the knowledge but live in a different way? You can understand the things of God but still be living in an elementary way. He said you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use. Everybody say constant. Constant use, not occasional use. Not when it's convenient use 
but constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I just want you to notice that, that solid food, and I'm talking about the solid things, mature things of God, when we constantly are digesting those, constantly feasting on the things of God, you will, that's the only way for you to learn to distinguish good from evil. That's what he said. I didn't say it. That's what he said. It's the only way. And it's not a occasional use, but a constant use. So here's what maturity is not, and it's in your notes. Maturity is not a matter of age. Maturity takes time. It takes time to grow in our faith with God. It takes energy and it takes effort. But you are not considered an elder just because you are old. I had a girl one time in the first church that I pastored say to me one time, I was 26, she was 28, and we had an argument, and she said to me, respect your elders. <laughs> I think I laughed out loud. <laughs> but there is this misnomer that eldership uh, in, indicates age or indicates time and distance. And I just want you to know, you can have served God for 50 years, but be as immature as if you just found him yesterday. And the church, frankly, is full of people like that. It's not about age. I've seen 50, 60, 70-year-old spiritual babies who whine and cry about everything that they don't get their way. Haven't you? I've also seen 25 and 30 and 35-year-olds do the same thing. But I've also seen 25 and 30-year-olds who are incredibly mature in their faith and walk with God in ways that 50 and 60-year-olds, some of them envy. There's a maturity. It's not about age. Secondly, spiritual maturity is not a matter of appearance. It's not a matter of appearance. Some people look and sound spiritually mature. They can quote the scriptures. They can say the right things. They know how to answer the questions of this life and of this world. They know how to do it. They know how to talk spiritual and they know how to look spiritual. But the question is, do they have anything of true substance inside of them? Is there any real depth to them? The third thing is this, spiritual maturity is not a matter of achievement. It's not a matter of achievement. You can be recognized for all kinds of wonderful things. You can get awards. You can hang degrees on your wall. You can hang diplomas and certificates on your wall. You can carry a credential card in your pocket, and I have one in my wallet. But it means nothing if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to be active in my life towards spiritual maturity. None of those things will matter. Achievement does not matter. You do not become mature because you attend church. You do not become mature in your faith because you study the scriptures. You do not become mature in your faith unless you allow the Holy Spirit to be a part of the process. Do we want to be mature? Do we really want to know the Lord. James tells us how to know the Lord. He says, when you go through trials, be joyful. When you go through, when you go through trials and difficult things, let your faith become steadfast. Paul writes to Timothy, do yourself to present, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has uh, no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly understanding the things of God. Maturity is an important piece to being a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. So what does maturity look like? I'm going to give you seven things that maturity looks like. Some of you just rolled your eyes in the back of your head when I said seven. 
but it is the number of perfection. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> what does maturity look like? What are the marks of someone who is mature or maturing in the things of God? Here's the first one. Life doesn't throw your walk with God off kilter. Life doesn't throw your walk with God off kilter. Circumstances, issues of life uh, happen all the time. Life is full of mountaintops and valleys, incredible highs and incredible lows. How we handle those swings determines the life we will live. What happens in the ups and downs? I've seen too many believers who live for the mountaintop experience. They are all the way up when they have those moments with God, when God is moving in their life in a way that they approve of. I approve this message, Lord. Do what you want. You know? It's easy when you like what God is doing in your life. It's easy when you go to the worship conference. It's easy when you go to convention. It's easy when you go to salt. It's easy when you go to the things that rev up your spiritual life, and then for a few weeks, baby, it's a high. How many of you know God doesn't let us live on the mountain? I think it's why in Psalm 23, it doesn't really talk about the mountain. It talks about the valley. It talks about living in the valley. It talks about walking out our life with the Lord because when the high wears off, if you're a mountaintop kind of person and life throws you off, when the high wears off of the spiritual high, so does the relationship with God. But mature Christians do not allow the highs and lows of life to impact their walk with God. In fact, I, I wanna say it this way, true spiritual Christians, when it comes to the roller coaster of life, are absolutely boring. They're just like this. They're steady. I know, it seems boring, right? They're steady. When everything is going awesome in their life and they've got money in the bank and God is blessing and their kids are healthy, just all these things are going, they rejoice in the Lord and they thank God and they continue to do all the things they've always done and man, it's awesome. But when everything's going wrong and they lost their job and their, their retirement account has gone in the toilet and all, you know, they don't know how it's all gonna work out, they still worship God and bless the Lord and honor him and do all the things they always did. They're not up and down, they're steady as she goes. That's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of the, of the things of God taking root in your life. Life doesn't throw your walk with God off kilter when life happens. Number two, that's a sign of maturity. Second sign of maturity is you relish, relish in the small stuff. You relish in the small stuff. You love the mundane activities of life with God. You recognize that even when you're not having this amazing, hot, spiritual high moment with the Lord, all the little things day, to, day in and day out and Sunday to Sunday and Monday to Monday, I mean, every day that you live your life, it is awesome and you love the mundane things. You love the mundane. That's a, a sign of spiritual maturity. Let me give you an example. Jesus lived over 12,000 days on the earth. How many days... This was an interesting thing. How many days do we have represented in the four gospels? Of the 12,000 days Jesus lived, how many of them are written down? About 52. 
That means there's 11,500 not 11,950 days we know nothing about in Jesus' life. Think about that. Do you know how many mundane days there were between the, the healing of the man at the pool of Siloam and then something else that God did, the clearing of the temple? I mean, do you know how many mon mundane days where Jesus still every morning slipped off to pray, still slipped off to spend time with the Father, still talked to his disciples about things, normal things and life things? Do you know how mundane the life of Jesus was? It's the life of a disciple. It's the life of our, our life. It's like what we do. We don't live from the spectacular to the spectacular. Mature believers live consistently in the mundane, day to day, in the small, in the stuff no one sees, in the micro things which make the greatest impact in the world. It's the living in your Bible every day. It's the showing up to worship the Lord every day. It's the doing the little things that nobody sees that make you a mature believer. If you need to live from the spectacular to the spectacular to serve God, you're immature. Are you with me? I don't know if you like that, but the third sign of maturity is this. The peace of God guards our hearts. The peace of God guards our hearts. I would argue with you that this is one of the most underestimated or underrated marks of spiritual maturity. Just as if, as in the mundane, there's a steady as she goes. In the things that go wrong in the world, there's a steady as she goes. Mature followers of Jesus turn on the TV, watch the news, watch the very sad things happening in our world, happening in our nation, happening in our nation this week. And we are spiritually broken by them. We are saddened by the evil and the wickedness in the world. We're not surprised by it, and we're not freaking out about it. Mature believers know that God is in control on crazy, insane days just like he is on every other day. He is sovereign over everything in this world, including the stock market, donkeys and elephants, your retirement account, your home value, your children's lives. I don't know if you dedicated your children to the Lord, but you already gave them back to him, so you got no claim. I mean, that's a real thought for some parents, right? Because it's hard to release our children to the Lord, but that's exactly what a mature believer does. It, it, it trusts in the sovereignty of God. He holds the future. He holds the US, U.S. and world leaders. He holds all the things that are happening in your life that you cannot control. Can I tell you what you can control? Some of you are control freaks. Let's just be honest. Can I tell you what you can control? Your attitude. You can control your attitude. You can control your personal disciplines, how you take care of yourself, how you take care of your spiritual life, things like that. You can take care of who you trust, and you can make choices that feed your spirit rather than take life away from it. Can I just say to you, you control like nothing else? I know you don't like that. You control, I see you control people looking at me like with a stink eye. But you don't control it, control's an illusion. 
Control's an illusion. You don't control. The Bible says he raises up kings and puts them down. He makes the sun rise and the sunset. He counts the stars and names them. You think you can control something? A mature believer recognizes they have no control, but God is in control. And if their trust is in God, they have nothing to fear. He's in control. <laughs> look, I'm not saying God in control means everything in your life is going to just look beautiful and be peachy all the time. How many of you know that's true? In fact, I would suggest to you that God in control means the opposite more often than not. It means you're going to have uh, difficulty. It means you're going to go through suffering. It means you're going to have to fight battles spiritually. It means you're going to have to do the things for the kingdom of God that you, know, you didn't think you'd have to do. If you want to be mature, you're going to have to make that sacrifice. And it's really hard to make because we want to control it. And the first time that we lose control in our life, the first time that it's ripped from our lives or we don't, you know, we, 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 we realize that we don't have control, our natural human reaction is to pull everything close, pull everything tight, and hold on with white knuckles, never let go again. And I just want you to know that's the wrong move. The right move is to open your hands again. Open your heart, open your mind, open your spirit. I want to say one more thing about control or about this idea of letting the peace of God guard our heart. I, I think, because this is happening right now in our country, and it, it make you know, I, I love America. I, lo I, I would say I'm a patriot. I love our country. I do think we're doing more for the kingdom of God to spread the gospel by sending and financing than any other country in the world. But our calling is not to save this country. And I, and I say that for this reason. It needs to guard your heart. The things of God, the peace of God needs to guard your heart because it's very possible the things happening in our nation are exactly the work of God to bring this world and this country to the place that he needs to get it for his will to be done. Like it's, it, like we have to consider that, don't we? And so when we fight against it, I'm not saying we don't stand up for morality. I'm not saying we don't stand up for biblical truth. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying some of the battles that American, Americans and Christian Americans are fighting right now is foolishness. Because we're very likely fighting God. And I say that only to say this, we need to be super careful. Super careful. A mature believer will be able to know which battles we're going to fight and which ones we shouldn't fight. Here's how Jesus put it about worrying and control. So don't worry about these things, saying what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear, what's going to happen tomorrow, how's this whole thing going to work out. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God above everything and live righteously and he'll take care of everything else including this country and whatever he wants to do in this country. You know what my prayer is? God, bring America back to God. But outside of that, you do whatever you got to do to get us to heaven faster because I'm tired of this place. And whatever that means has to happen in our nation or in the world, let it be. That's my prayer. And I hope I didn't offend you with that. I'm not trying to offend you with that. I just want you to know, don't fight the wrong battles, man. Don't fight the wrong battles and don't fight against the Lord. The peace of God guards the hearts of the mature. Number four, spiritual disciplines. Everybody say discipline. Aren't you excited about spiritual disciplines? They are a mature Christian's guardrails. 
Spiritual disciplines, what do I mean by spiritual disciplines? Meditation, Bible study, prayer, solitude, worship, community, confession, fasting. These are the spiritual disciplines traditional to the church from the very beginning modeled in the life of Jesus when he would slip off to spend time with the Father. People who struggle with consistency and intimacy in their walk with God are usually the ones that consistently place everything else above the idea of spiritual discipline. I don't have time to spend time with God every day. I don't have time or I have no ability to read the scriptures or study the scriptures. I don't know how to worship. We make all these excuses that keep us out of the presence of God. And here's what, here's what happens. Don't, listen, just listen to me. Here's what happens. We become a group of consumer Christians. We become a group of Christians who come to church on Sunday and live off the spiritual life of everybody who stands on the platform. You need milk, not solid food, right? Now, I know it's not this church. This is not this church. This is lots of other churches full of people that are like this. But I want you to understand, if we're going to become mature in our walk with God and our spiritual life, we're going to have to dig in deeper to spiritual disciplines, being disciplined in the things of God in our personal lives. So, good news for you. We're going to spend a whole month on it in January, spiritual disciplines and what they look like. We're even going to do a corporate fast for three weeks. You're like, I can't eat for three weeks. No, that's not what we're saying. There are going to be lots of options for you, lots of different things. But I'm going to ask you, maybe for the first time in some of your life, to actually engage some spiritual disciplines maybe you've never done before, like fasting. I'm a, gr I'm a great faster. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, if you'll do the spiritual disciplines, God will meet you. Number five, a mature believer is someone whose heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. A mature believer is someone whose heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. What breaks God's heart? What is it that breaks the heart of God? What is it that moves the heart of the Lord? People. I mean, it's the motivating factor of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved people, for God so loved humanity, so, for God so loved his creation that he sent his only son. God loves people. What else does God love? Well, God loves righteousness. He loves it when we live upright. The Bible's full of scriptures that talk about how uh, God blesses and, and ministers life to those that live upright. If you live upright, if you live righteously, if you shun evil and love what is righteous, can I just say, here's a good way to know what is righteous. Just love all the things that are opposite of what our culture loves. Because our culture currently hates God. So it's pretty simple to figure it out. Just make a list and go, okay, if they love that, then God probably loves this. God loves righteousness. He loves it when we live righteous. God loves when we love like he loves God loves when we love like he loves, without prejudice, without discrimination, without bias, completely, fully, wholeheartedly one another. It's why, uh, you know, the, the racial issues in our nation, I don't want to even get political today, but I'm going to say it anyway, it, it, why the racial issues in our nation can never be solved with legislation, can never be solved with a political hero, can never be solved with anything that's out there. The only thing that solves the racial issues of our nation and the healing that needs to happen in some parts of our country is Jesus. Because he's the only one that fixes it. 
We gotta love the way he loves. Love people the way he loves people. Love the things that God loves. Number six, if you're a mature believer, you'll understand Christianity, living for God, doesn't have an on-off switch. Let me say it a different way because uh, this is the way guys are. It's, you can't compartmentalize Christianity into one part of your life and live a whole other life over here while this part's your Christian part. It's not how it works. Christianity or living for Jesus, and I'm not talking about the religion of Christianity, I'm talking about walking with God, should permeate every part and every piece and every crevice of your life. All the way through. There should be no parts that are compartmentalized or that are set aside. Christian living, living for God does not have an on-off switch. You can't live for God on Sundays and not live for him on Monday. You can't live for God around your family and then go to work and live a whole separate life around the guys. You're either in or you're out. And if you're in, and I hope you are, then you will turn your switch on and leave it on. In fact, you'll disconnect it and hardwire it together. Because living for Jesus doesn't have an on and off switch. See, when we live for Jesus fully on, we're constantly aware of opportunities God is presenting us. We're not on at church and then off at Walmart or the restaurant. We don't come and love our brothers and sisters in Christ and then treat waitresses like dirt or leave a track for a tip. We don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family and then go to work and say dirty things and rotten things and participate in nonsense. I mean, it's a real deal, isn't it? You want to live for Jesus? You want to be mature in your faith? You got to turn it on and leave it on. Number seven. You didn't think I could do it, did you? Some of you are like, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> and I think this is huge. A mature Christian will have a sustainable rhythm to their life. A mature Christian will have a sustainable rhythm to your life. There's two key words there. One is sustainable. You can do anything for a short season, right? You can work like a dog for a short season, but eventually you'll need time. You'll need time off. You'll need time to rest. You can stay up all night. Our, our college students aren't here. Most of them aren't here right now, but you can pull an all-nighter for finals in a week and, and pull an all-nighter for three or four nights in a row, but then you're gonna crash because you can't do it for a long time. So that idea of sustainability is huge. The other key word there, not just sustainable, but the other key is rhythm. What's the rhythm of your life? Mature Christians are not workaholics. Neither are they lazy slobs. They are not underachievers, but neither are they overachievers. They do not hang their hat on achievement at all. They believe health is important. Mature believers find value in exercise. They find value in Sabbath. They find value in vacation. Even if it's a staycation. 
They find value in hobbies. They find time for authentic relationships. They find time to rub shoulders with men and women of God on the same pathway that they're on. If you are so busy in the other aspects of your life that you've abandoned real relationships in the context of Christianity, you are doing it wrong. I say that with all love. I feel like you're going to be mad at me, but whatever. I say that with all love because I don't want you to miss what God has, but if you spend all your life succeeding at something that isn't gonna be eternal, what have you achieved? Mature followers of Jesus build margin in their life so the Lord has room to lead them, guide them, correct them, or even capture them away for a season. Even capture them away for a season. All right, in conclusion... What are the key components to becoming mature? There's four. First, a willingness. Like, how many of you know to be mature, you gotta be willing to be mature? You gotta be willing to go, okay, I'm tired of being a baby Christian, it's time to grow. You've got to be teachable. That's your blank. Teachable. Can I just say, you don't have all the answers? I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I learn something new all the time. So if you're arrogant enough to think that you've already got it all figured out, you're going to have a hard time becoming mature in your faith. The Holy Spirit will struggle to work in your heart and in your life if you're not teachable, if he can't teach you. You know why? We, how, how do we know that? Well, he's the guide to all truth, right? He's the one who guides us. So if you've closed your door to the guiding power of the Holy Spirit because you already know it anyway, it's like when I, I told you I got four kids in puberty. So guess what their favorite answer is to when I tell them something? I know. Oh, well, you genius of a 12-year-old. I didn't know you'd live so much life that you'd figured out these things that are so important. Don't be like that with the Holy Spirit. When he speaks those things to our life, don't look at him and go, I know. Unless you do know and you're just living disobediently. Willingness, teachability, and submission. Number two, courage to look inside. I think this is a huge one. You've got to be willing to face your own brokenness. I mean, so many of us were taught when we grew up to never be weak, to never show weakness, to never be vulnerable, to never let anybody see on the inside what's really going on, to never confess, to never cry, to never whatever, fill, fill in the blank, whatever, however you were raised. Or we take all the things that we don't like about ourselves and we just shove them under the rug as if they don't exist. Can I just say that's not what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants you to have the courage to face your own brokenness, to be humble enough, I'll say it this way, to be humble enough to look dysfunction in the eye. And I'm not telling you that it's comfortable. The first time you want to, you look your dysfunction in the eye, you know, it's like you avert your eyes. Oh, I don't, oh, whoa, I, I don't, whoa. But the more you glance up at that, that guy, uh, Pastor Don says it this way, the greatest trouble I have, uh, the greatest person I have trouble with is the guy that I see every morning in the mirror. And I think the more that we're willing to look at our dysfunction with courage and with compassion on ourselves and humility, 
the more God can work through those things in our lives and transform us into the image of his son. And that's truly what maturity is, is it not? Becoming more and more like Jesus. Gotta be courage, have courage to look inside. Number three, be committed to advancement. Be committed to advancement. Man, get dissatisfied with your 2022 Christian life. I mean, get dissatisfied with your 2022 life with God. Don't you want more? Don't you want 2023 to be a whole new program, a whole new process, a whole new thing, fresh knowledge, fresh wisdom, fresh things in your life with God? Don't you know that God could pour so much more out on you if you'll get yourself positioned right? So next year, there's no obstacles. Commit to it. And lastly, Dig deep spiritual wells, otherwise known as strengthen your core. Strengthen your core. I said in January we're going to do a series on this. It's called This is Life. And it's really about how the life of our spiritual disciplines and our core, our spiritual man, permeates every part of our life. It's your devotional life. It's learning how to just be with God instead of needing to achieve everything or earn God's approval. Just being his son or his daughter. How to do corporate spirituality. How to walk with God together in the body of Christ. And how to use what God puts in us for the kingdom of God in our real life. We're going we're gonna to tackle that, those things in the midst of a fast and in the midst of praying, in the midst of all these things that we're going to do. We're going to consecrate the year to the Lord. And what I'm praying for you and for me is that in the next three or four weeks, what will not be lost in the Christmas season is the thought process of the forward thinking that I want my 2023 to be deeper, greater, powerful, more stronger, more anointed, more full of God than my 2022 could have ever dreamed of being. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. That's what I'm praying for my life and for your life. Why? Why is this important? I'm going to close. This is, this is it right here. Ephesians 4. He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, to maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. Like, that's our goal, right? Like, our measuring stick is the fullness of Christ. Think about that. Our measuring stick's the fullness of Christ. It's not some man-made idea of what a mature believer looks like. It's the fullness of Jesus. So that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth by every wind and every doctrine and everything that comes down by human coming or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow up in every way unto him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held by, by Christ is equipped when each part does its work. Meaning, when all of us begin to mature in the things of God. And listen, it's not going to end. It's going to begin with this group, it's going to end with a much larger group. Because once you grow, once you move towards that, once you're on that pathway, you can't do it by yourself. You'll have to bring people with you. You'll have to find, I mean, the passion and desire that God will put in your heart for, for people that are far from God and whatever, that will increase all the more. And this place will be filled with baby Christians sucking on milk that we can help learn how to eat solid food. Boy, that's exciting. But if we don't do it, 
if we don't do it first, there'll never be anybody to come. So I want us to be mature. The Holy Spirit's part of that process. He is that process in our lives. So here's what I want us to do. We're gonna pray in just a moment. And as we pray, as I pray, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, what do you want me to do? What, is, what part of this is for me? What part of this do I need to address in my own spirit, in my own heart? What is it that you're doing in me and how do you want me to respond as I go forward? Father, thank you for the word of God, for the power of God, for the spirit of God. Thank you for the plan that you have to mature us in Christ, to help us become men and women who serve you faithfully God, who live out this, this thing of Christianity every single day. Lord, who walk in maturity and walk in strength and walk in power and walk in peace. Lord, I know that each of us have one or two of these things, Lord, that have popped in our head, that the Holy Spirit has pricked our heart of an area where we need to mature, we need to grow, we need to be strengthened, God. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would begin to tell us what it is you want us to address, what it is you want us to work on, what it is you want us to lean into as we look forward to 2023 and the things that you have for us. Help us to see it clearly, to know clearly what it is you desire so that we can obey you so that this church, God, can become that church that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter four. So that many, many others, hundreds, thousands of others will come beside us who are only eating milk and we can lead them towards eating solid food. Lord, that's, a, that's my prayer, that's my heart, that's my goal. I pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, ask our worship team to sing and then Pastor Jim will dismiss us in just a few moments. But if you need to do some things with the Lord, you need to have some time with God, I wanna open the altars. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to stay in your seat and pray and worship the Lord for just another couple of moments. But if you wanna to come to the front and spend some time with the Lord, I wanna invite you to do that as our worship team leads us. God bless you.